Growing up in Ireland, we didn't carve pumpkins. We carved turnips. If you ever tried to carve a turnip, it's just like the Irish to figure out the hardest way to do something and then make that what everybody has to do. And then when you, s <clears throat> when you have a turnip, I mean, pumpkins are kind of pretty looking. Turnips, pretty ugly from the get-go. So anyway, my lessons from growing up. Today we're going to conclude our study in the book of Esther. And I want to come to <clears throat> probably the, the most um, obvious observation that has been made through the years about the book of Esther, which is that as a book in the Bible, it never mentions God. And people have asked questions about that. Why is there no reference to God? And the underlying question in, in all of that is the question, well, where is God in the affairs of um, the nation, in the affairs of the land in which all of this took place? Um, and I, I think perhaps... Um, the reason God has given us this book in the context of, of all of the Holy Scriptures is actually to answer that question on a broader scale, to, to answer the question, where is God in the events of world history, in the events of humankind? Because in the story of Esther, um, we, would, we would see that God is obviously at work because um, how it all happens, how it all works out seems to be in full accordance with what God would want and yet we have no reference to God. We have no reference to him um, stepping in or by him giving revelation uh, or any of the things that we might have sort of expected to come across. So I'm wondering if the book of Esther is in fact a, a paradigm, like a model of the understanding that we have about God's involvement in human affairs, God's involvement in our lives, God's involvement in history, God's involvement in nature. And um, what I'd like to do today is, is just maybe use the book of Esther as that sort of a paradigm that might instruct us about how we have been learning to perceive the work of God the intersection between God's interests and God's activities and human lives, the lives of people, the lives of nations. I, I want to bring you to a quote to begin with that has really just sort of gripped my mind for the last couple of weeks. Uh, a person that I've really enjoyed reading is Frederick Beckner. He's a person still alive in his um, mid-late 90s. Um, and he has written prolifically, but... He, he probably is best known for quotes um, where he just really uh, has a pithy way of expressing truth. And here's one of the things that, that he said in a book that's called Beyond Words. Here is the world, beautiful and terrible. Things will happen. Don't be afraid. Beautiful and terrible things. Things will happen. Don't be afraid. It seems to me to be a, quite a realist's view of living life in this world, isn't it? And the appending of don't be afraid uh, really would, would grip our hearts if we say, uh, we can either go out into this world um, in fear 
Uh, we could go out into the world naively, not understanding that there are dangers, um, or we could go out into the world pessimistically, expecting that we will find dangers and expecting them to trip us up. But um, I, I like that Beckner says, don't be afraid. Have a realistic view of, of life. Have a realistic view of the world. Um, it's characterized by beautiful things and terrible things. Don't be afraid. So that might be a good way to sort of capture the events of our world all the way through the, the history of humankind and say that uh, this world is a world where there are beautiful and terrible things. And we as followers of Christ are called not to be afraid. Th that's one of the things that, that we hear um, from the words of Christ to his followers over and over, don't be afraid. Um, so one of the provisions of our trusting in Christ should be the ability not to be afraid as we live in a world full of beautiful and terrible things. How is God involved in this world of ours with the beautiful and terrible things that it kind of um, captures altogether? I think there are three ways that we understand God to be involved with us. And I'm, I'm talking towards something that I'd like to claim as the third of those things, which I think is, is fully demonstrated in the book of Esther. But if we were to begin with the ways in which God is involved with humankind, we would say that the, fir the first thing is that God is involved in nature and history. And in what way is God involved in, in nature and history? So the world as we see it, um, the world as we experience it, the events of the world, um, we, we want to ask, well, how is God involved in those aspects? The book of Esther um, takes place somewhere in human history where there have been world movements. There have been the Babylonians, there have been the Medes, the Persians, and there are more uh, kingdoms that are going to come and go before our time comes anywhere close. And we ask ourselves, well, how is God involved in um, this succession of nations, for example? Well, we know that God instructs one nation very particularly, he chooses Israel and says, you are a holy nation. You are going to be um, a nation in this world that will be blessed by me. The covenants that God made with Abraham and all the way through the early parts of, of the Old Testament um, are, are kind of testament to God's intention to show the world I, a healthy society and more than a healthy society, a society that actually is in relation to its God. And one of the, the great expectations of keeping the covenant is that the, that the nations around will see the way that Israel lives and will say what, what a God they have who is near them and who listens to them and they are to become sort of the, the tutors of all of the other nations as the other nations see what it's like when you have a God who is near you, whom you worship, whom you obey, 
um, then they will follow uh, suit after the, the way that nation has lived. Well, the nation of Israel um, goes off track many, many times, and, and there's a major correction that gives us the um, sort of the, the segue into the New Covenant, the New Testament. And in the middle of all of that, we ask, well, where is God with the nations of history? Um, and we, we have to say that God really does not intervene in the course of history. And that, that's a broad, broad statement. But it looks as though God is not intending to intervene in the, the affairs of nations. The nations come and go. And um, God has certainly given the whole moral, ethical background to how societies ought to function, but he does not invade those societies and impose the morality or the ethics that belong in his covenant. He lets these nations come and go, to rise and to fall. When we ask, apart from the history of nations, nature itself, um, we would ask, is, is God closely involved in, in nature or does nature sort of hum along um, as though God had started it and then it just sort of faithfully behaves as it ought to behave as, as nature, as creation. And I think it, it may just be fair enough to say that as far as nature and history are concerned, God lets it take its course. Now, in all of it, we know that there's an eschaton, that's a clumsy theological word that, that talks about the fact that there's an end in mind, and the end that we're expecting is the glorious new heavens, new earth, new creation, and everything um, set right that was wrong, everything made right that was, that was bad, everything made good that was bad, all of that gets sorted out at the end. But in the meantime, it's almost as though God says, well, um, I am not uninterested nor disinterested, but I am not involving myself primarily in the events of nature or the events of, of nations. So you may want to argue with me about that and say, hmm, I'm not so sure, and that's okay. But let me go to the second way in which um, we have the sense that God does intervene and that's in the provision of miracles. And the very phenomenon of miracles um, is a real head twister because do we believe in miracles? Do we not believe in miracles? Are there miracles today? Uh, do miracles happen only in certain kinds of churches? Do miracles happen in certain parts of the world? What are miracles? If we go back to what we have already claimed in the first part of this that God does not regularly intervene in nature or history, we might say that God does not regularly intervene miraculously, right? So God does not continuously bring miracles into our experience. What, what is a miracle? A miracle is something that actually does violate uh, the laws of nature. So, for the most part, God does not intervene in nature um, miraculously. The one great exception to that is the life of Christ. And we ask the question, well, 
When Jesus came, why did he perform so many miracles? I mean, he, he healed the sick. All of the sick sometimes were told that they were all healed if they came to him. Uh, he taught wonderful teachings, but he was renowned for the fact that he performed miracles. What was the purpose of those miracles? So if a miracle is a violation or a disruption of the laws of nature, um, then a miracle would be evidence of an agent that is apart from nature or above nature or beyond nature. And we would say the reason Jesus performed miracles was as a sign um, that if somebody could intervene in the events of nature, be they um, because of sickness or even, you know, catastrophes, weather, whatever it is. If, if somebody could interrupt, we, we would say, well, wait a minute, God didn't regularly do that, so why is Jesus doing that? And I think the answer is that Jesus is proving that he is the Lord of nature. He's the Lord of creation. Therefore, he alone can violate its rules. He, he set those rules. He made those laws. And as an evidence of the fact that he is above and beyond his creation, um, in his human life, Jesus proved that he was God by the miracles that he performed. Um, then into the early church, again, miracles continued, and they continued for the most part as signs. So the early Christians uh, saw signs and wonders. Uh, every now and then, in the course of the history of the church, there are signs and wonders. And I remember there was a period of time when we were in Brampton that the Lord did bring miraculous signs into the context of our church ministry. And as, as we thought about the miracles that were being noticed, uh, we, we realized that those miracles were being provided usually not to Caucasian Christian people. They were being provided um, to those of the Sikh faith or the Muslim faith. And it, it was very apparent to us that the reason God was allowing miracles to be used was to just make an adjustment um, towards people of other faith to get them corrected into the notion that there is a God who is above nature and creation who can intervene miraculously. And the signs that we saw, um, in, including signs like a, a, a man I remember of the Sikh faith uh, who had ALS and was wheelchair confined and he was raised from his wheelchair and was well. So it was a, a well sort of noticed and recorded miracle among others that took place. They seem to be for the purpose of signs. So the, the, the way that miracles appear in the course of God's uh, involvement or intervention in our lives would be that when, when God wants to make, make an obvious sign or correction, then, then miracles may come into play. It's not normal for God to perform miracles because performing miracles is a disruption or a violation of what he has set in motion. And at the very end of time, in the eschaton, 
all of the things that need to be addressed will have been addressed, but along the way, God is not a fix-it person who's going to step in here, there, or everywhere um, to correct everything that's wrong. So everyone who is sick is not healed. Um, Everyone who prays with great faith and determination, believing that they'll be healed, everyone like that is not healed. Sometimes God does heal. And while it is um, often for the obvious reason that, that it's a sign towards, towards faith in him, we are told that if anyone is sick, they should call the elders of the church. And we've said that. And we as a denomination have one of our four um, sort of foundational concepts being the fact that Christ is our healer. So we do believe in healing Um, but we all still ask the question, how many times does God heal? How many situations does God intervene? How many healings should we expect there to be? Um, And we have faltering ways of understanding what James is telling us to do. While we still have an enormous capacity to believe that God can heal, we're just not sure when God decides to heal and for what purposes God decides to, to heal. We're, we're given a, a huge underlying theology of what God is committed to, what, what Christ is committed to working in us and how the Holy Spirit is going to be involved and that when we um, are in difficulty, we can count on God always to be working for our growth and working for his glory. So those two things we can always count on. We, we can pray for healing, um, but we can count on growing and God's glory if, if we commit ourselves um, to those pursuits in, even in the middle of our difficulties. In the book of Esther, God does not intervene miraculously. Um, everything that happens happens in a very interesting way that I will talk about as we move to the third way that God may intervene or not intervene in our world. But if you come with me, we're saying that God, for the most part, does not intervene historically. God, for the most part, does not intervene miraculously, albeit with all of the caveats that I've been trying to put out there to uh, muddle up your heads. The third way, and this may just seem really strange. The third way that God involves himself in human lives and in human history is in coincidences. I didn't used to believe in coincidences. Um, I, I, I probably don't still actually believe in coincidences. Um, how, how does this fit in, in the, the, the rhyme of three? So if God normally does not intervene, if God normally doesn't change the course of history of nations and, and rising and falling, if God normally does not intervene miraculously except to demonstrate um, that whoever can intervene violate natural laws, they must be from away from here. They must be from another place. They must be, in fact, the creator of those laws if they can break them. Uh, And that's a sign. Um, The way that God 
if, if I were God, and those first two were sort of givens, the way I would work, I'm speaking foolishly as I think someone in the Bible says that about himself as well, right? So, um, I would use nature and history um, in a way that you can't notice it with coincidences. Um, so, uh, one of the most interesting people I've ever known is a guy called Howard Dowdell. You may have heard of Howard. He's with the Lord now. Um, how, he, he was one of the most interesting characters I've ever had in the church. He was one of those guys. He always had a little, note, a little spiral notebook. And he would tell me he needed to talk. And when we would meet to talk or meet for lunch or whatever it was, Howard would take out his little spiral notebook and would go through his list. He was an engineer. He was a psychometrist. He was uh, all kinds of things. He, was, um, he went to U of T. He went to MIT. He went to Harvard. He, he led mission organizations. He led hospital development. Uh, an incredible guy. Um, and he told me one day that he was going to write a book. Um, and he told me that the title that he was going to use for the book would be, I was there when it happened. And, and I, I thought that was a really curious title for his book. Um, he didn't end up calling it that. He said, it just happened to happen. The thesis of his book is by telling his story of, of mission endeavor and, and all of the ways from his youth um, well into his mature years, um, he, he sort of, he tells all these stories and he lets them all wind towards this statement. It just happened to happen. But Howard um, was a mathematician among many other things and he knew about laws of probability and he knew that the probability of any of these things happening was very, 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 very low, and yet they happened. So he wrote the book and said, it just happened to happen. I, I think the subtitle might be coincidence. I don't think so. And, and that was um, the, sort of the mantra of, of his life as he looked back over it and said, how, how does God get involved in human circumstances? Um, and I think what he would say is that, he, that God used coincidences or what appeared to be coincidences to get done what he wanted to get done. So more and more, um, I'm, I'm prone to agree that if coincidentally you got a parking spot and there were no parking spots in the whole parking lot and you were desperate and you were tired and you had a crying baby and you prayed... Was it a coincidence that you got a parking spot? Or did God provide a parking spot? I, before now, I would have said, don't be praying that way, that's just silly. Except is it? Um, if, if God is given by his own provision um, an orderly universe um, in terms of time and nature, and he likes the way things happen, he likes the causal relationships between things, can he not just move things around so that they appear to be the proper course of events and yet they get done what God wanted to get done? Is that what the story of Esther is? How is it that Esther 
lost her parents? How is it that Esther was raised by Mordecai? How is it that Esther was beautiful and that Esther was noticed? And how is it that Esther ended up to be the queen? And how was it that Mordecai uh, heard word about an assassination plot? And how, how, all of the things, how was it that um, Esther happened to be where she was when she was because in her realization it, it was, as Mordecai had said, perhaps it's because you were here for such a time as this. So I think the way that we understand that God gets involved is by the use of the coincidences in our life. And when we ask God detail by detail for things, when we commit ourselves detail by detail to certain things, God is working those things together so that our lives really are like the tapestry um, that from our side looks like it is raveled and you know, knotted differently and yet on the, the other side, on the side of what God was wanting to accomplish, there's the beautiful tapestry of the story of our lives and it is the story of God being there uh, in every turn, at every turn, um, bringing about his purposes and, and bringing about his glory for us and in us. So do, do we want to have a theology of the intervention of God in human affairs? Maybe Esther is just a story to us that says when you don't see God at all, you need to realize that God is actually in all, through it all, working it all, and he is never absent from his purposes. He's never absent from his people. He's always there. Um, taking little things and just adjusting them here or there so that he gets done what he wants to get done. And we grow as he wants us to grow. Um, so coincidentally, God answers this prayer and you think that's great. That may mean that I can pray another, th another prayer and that prayer isn't answered. And God says, yeah, just pay attention. The reason I answered the first prayer and that I didn't answer the second prayer you will grow to understand is about your maturity, is about your, your grasping uh, what it is that was your responsibility, what it is that's my responsibility, but make sure that you don't stop talking with me because I am fascinated by all of the details of your life and I am quite willing to just move the pieces around in such a way that it's scarcely noticeable unless someone were to stop and say, statistically, that isn't what would come about. Why is it that these things happened? Was it a coincidence? I don't think so. There's Esther in a nutshell. There's my philosophy of God's involvement in human history in a nutshell. You can take it or leave it, but what you do know and what I do know is that God is the God of history and that the day will come when everything is sorted and we'll all have a chance to sit down and go, oh, okay, now I get it, now I get it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Esther, for the way that you, behind the scenes, um, were making sure that what you wanted was accomplished. 
that your people were saved, um, your people from whom our Savior came, were delivered. Um, help us, Father, to, to live lives um, with eyes wide open about how you um, seem to be working and when you seem to intervene and when you seem not to intervene. But help us not to lose heart and help us to keep bringing every detail to you so that um, if it is that you will choose to use by uh, what appears to be an interesting circumstance, an interesting um, coincidence, that, that we can be happy to receive those and delighted to walk into them day by day. Um, I thank you for the, the memory of my friend Howard and for the incredible things you accomplished through him and how he, at near the end of all of it, was able to say, I, it couldn't just have been coincidence. So thanks for that testimony, and it comes from many others who have walked faithfully with you as well. In Jesus' name.